Hi, everyone, and welcome along to the fourth episode of the How the F*** Do You Implement Service Operations podcast. I can't believe it's episode four already, actually. It feels like literally we just done the first one last week. But we're four weeks further in, a month further into your project. How are you feeling about that? Uh, well, we're a lot longer than four months, uh, a month into the project, but it's a four months of holding you accountable to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. My toes are still burning from the fire. <laughs> so, yes, four, four uh, episode, fourth episode, right? And it's Halloween, so, you know. It is Halloween. And we have a ghoulish surprise because we, as we promised last week, we do have Alex uh, One Wing. He's going to be joining us a little later on in the podcast. You see what I've done there? Tied it in with, with Halloween. You're liking that? Uh, once again, obviously, it's Monday when we're recording this, so we're going to be talking about last week's activities, and this podcast will drop on the Friday. It gives us enough time to edit it and make sure we don't say anything stupid. Um, we've got Carl Cooper. Carl, the, produ- pro- the producer, he's online. Say hi, Carl. Hi, I'm back again next week. Here he is. I know, right? Getting used to the, uh, to the fame and the spotlight. Anyway, let's drop with our weekly project updates. Weekly project update. So I am looking once again at the uh, checkpoint reports. We've got uh, mostly green, a few little risks and issues that have been noted. What have we got going on this week? So key activities planned for the week ahead. That's the week of recording. Updating with your strategical event roadmap. Um, finishing off the mid-server tests which are running in dev and test to make sure we can actually the credentialless stores obviously connecting in with your keychain into Azure uh, ugh, dreaded documentation always leave that to last obviously uh, continuing to gather more event management data so I think this is for the further integrations into SodaWinds and VROps for data center because um, obviously we've got the Azure yep. piece and we've got the data center piece which are running alongside um, so SolarWinds is done and VR Ops will be done this week. That's pretty cool. That's a bit of a step forward. Uh, so, I know that yeah. our Ops team were quite well, hard to go. Integration. They, they haven't actually integrated into event, proper event management just yet. Um, so we've got a bit of rework. So for for the data center transformation, whilst um, VRealize Ops and SolarWinds are integrated into ServiceNow, um, we, mm. we've... It's been done before we were ready with Discovery first. So the, the, the data center team uh, actually integrated that beforehand, before we managed to get our hands on it. So there might be a little bit of rework. Becky and Peter are all over it, though. But we're concentrating mm-hmm. on getting Discovery done first because obviously that's the foundation. Once that's done, there'll be some uh, tweaks to how it's currently been integrated. Okay. If I'd have looked at literally the next point was discovery issue troubleshooting. We've got issue with credentials, which I assume is credential availability on device. Uh, I'll need to check. Uh, we actually had a call with security on Friday around discovery. Uh, so there's a couple more tweaks. Mm-hmm. Additional mid-servers need to go in due to the network segmentation that we've implemented to make it a more secure data center. Uh, so we've okay. got a flat network. Um, but yeah, I think they're almost there. Um, security seem happy with what's being done, uh, other than them additional mid servers. Um, security Peter. happy? Are you sure, actually? You have to, <laughs> well, <laughs> happier. Happier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We work, we're, we're doing yeah. some work with a couple of government um, 
institutions at the moment as well. And God love their security teams, but they are the, they're like an immovable object. So I'm happy to hear that yours are happier than they are. <laughs> yeah, you've got to get the right guys. Yeah. Really yeah. So Charles Kaplan, brilliant, if I'm honest. Excellent. Give him a name drop. He's going to love it. And then hopefully he'll come along with, uh, yeah, it's all fine. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. <laughs> he will never say that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, and we've got a whole bunch of uh, additional story drafting and so forth. Last week looked actually really productive. There's like 15 points. I'm going to read all of them down here, but 15 points trying to pick off some some major ones. It looks like the uh, accounts have been requested for additional resources. The new, new data center design infrastructure, including mid and poor requirements for a tooling event flows, has been signed off. It looks like a pretty... Um, a pretty productive week last week. How's Damien feeling with the um, the update to the discovery stuff and getting those additional CIs into the CMDB? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant for Damien, to be honest, um, to let somebody else just crack on with the data center stuff. Although Damien has still been, you know, the focal point of it all. Um, I mean, there's not much that Damien doesn't know about discovery. So, you know, it's good that mm-hmm. he's got some additional help as well as all the other stuff that's going on with discovery. He's still got the non-data center stuff to do, do uh, although he's, you know, probably 80% through all of that. Um, but yeah, without that discovery being completed, you know, it would be um, it'd be a, a push to see how that event management could be successful going live. Got to get that right. Yeah, no, totally. You've got to bind it. You've got to bind it, and it's got to be into, into the CSDM, obviously our enhanced CSDM structure. So that's a huge part forward. So that's the traditional DC stuff, the migration stuff. Uh, got Mihal's uh, Azure event management integration update here. CMDB, CMDB binding. CMDB, I just said CMDB twice. I've got it on the brain. Literally, Azure to CMDB binding has now finished, uh, completed and working. And context engine one and two flows have been updated. And so it's being generated. Bundling is happening. Smart alerts, smart events happening. That's well on the track. I think that's due to finish up next end of next week. Well, that's in That's Devin UAT. So he's got to work with the um, the the Cilials team just to make sure Mm. that what's been done uh, before it goes into prod. So they've got to test it. And they're obviously... Trying to find people to test stuff and provide feedback is always a challenge, and they've also got the day jobs to do as well. Yeah, no, perfect. Excellent. Good. That concludes this week's weekly project update. So, Ashley, we're going to bring uh, Alex in. We're going to bring Alex in in a second. I want you to tee up uh, UWP 1.0. We have touched on UWP a couple of times, I think, in, in episode two, but let's just refresh everyone's memory as to what UWP actually is challenges we've had and then we're going to bring Alex in and we're going to hold him really accountable for all of it and make sure he gives us all of the answers immediately. So do you want to set that up for for everyone? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Good luck, Alex. Um, So UWP is our retail website in the US. It stands for Unified Web Portal. Um, It consists, it's it's a retail utility site, so it's for paying your gas bill, electric bill, registering, submitting meter readings if they're applicable, et cetera, et cetera. It consists, it's a distributed system, so it goes across a lot of different back-end and front-end um, components. And the challenge that the UWP 
developers and engineers were having was that they they couldn't if there was a an issue with a customer, they couldn't quickly find where that cause of the problem was because there's so many different log sources. So they came to us and asked, "Can we aggregate the logs somewhere?" Um, so we're using ServiceNow Health Log Analytics, um, and then that's exactly what we've built for them. The challenges. I don't know if Alex wants to come in and talk about the challenges now. Um, of us, what he saw, obviously Alex being you know the lead developer on it. Um, but I think what started out as a concept is now fully productionized, and the amount of announcements because people like it so much, the amount of announcements people are asking for, uh, you know, he's just showing the confidence of in the platform. Alex mm. will probably tell it differently, um, and saying it wasn't as easy as probably what we thought it was going to be. Um, but that's <laughs> due to you know. Um, some of the, some of the constraints and issues within our own environment, rather than a ServiceNow platform environment. Well, let me uh, introduce Alex. Let me give him the drum roll that is uh, appropriate. So, Alex Wanling is one of our senior developers, been with us uh, for quite a while now. Uh, for one of the originals, carrying over from Itom Solution into Sapphire, worked on a number of projects, um, and it, I think you know has, has really benefited from what we've been doing, and we've benefited greatly from his experience in this program. So. Um, Alex, you want to say hello, and then um, obviously you just wheel into uh, to what Ashley was talking about there. Yeah, hello everybody. Hi Phil, thanks for that introduction. Happy Ooh. Halloween, everybody. Um, yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, uh, UDP certainly a challenge. Um, I'd say you know, looking back at the course of the project, there were really three main challenges, and they're chronological chronological challenges. Um, with the timeline of the project that spanned uh, several months. So there's a before, a during, and after. So the main challenge in um, a company adopting the HLA tool is, as Ashley mentioned, is understanding where these log sources are located and how we're going to get them aggregated in ServiceNow. So we work with multiple applications like MuleSoft, Dynatrace, um, there's kind of database layers, and there's initial kind of big service decomposition meeting you have with the, the respective application stakeholders and understanding what their logs look like, where they're stored, and how we might be able to access them. Now, that initial call um, was quite productive. We got an idea of the logs, um, but then getting into it and actually trying to access them, um, you know, you have your security constraints, um, you have firewall issues um, and just maybe the initial conversation wasn't as true as we thought it was. So getting these logs was, was quite difficult. Um, with MuleSoft, for example, we found, and, and as well as other applications, fortunately, they were storing a lot of their logs in ALA, which is Azure Log Analytics, which is a big database of all of their log history. And we can tap into those using native connectors in ServiceNow. ServiceNow has a long list of ways that we can connect, um, maybe AWS, Filebeat, REST API, um, and Azure Log Analytics, as we mentioned. Um, but we primarily used ALA and REST APIs. So the REST API is really the most customizable one. If As long as there is an endpoint for ServiceNow to connect to, then we can pull that data. Um, but it isn't as live as it is with Azure Log Analytics. So getting that data mm. was the hardest part. Now, to move on to the second piece that I thought was particularly difficult was the, the challenges during the project uh, where we had connection to those data inputs. Um, but the data was 
in nice words, a little bit varied. Um, so if we take MuleSoft, for example, we're pulling in 15 million logs a day. And these are all from mm. many different APIs. So whoever's coded them, you know, the, the output log messages are, for the most part, different in terms of their format. And HLA requires a fairly consistent uh, logging format to be able to process it, which is a JSON format, which is called a JavaScript object notation. Um, so there's a big step there with standardizing your logs. Now, we're getting all these logs in, uh, huge samples, and we spend a bit of maybe a few days just kind of grouping their structures. Some might be in that notation we talked about, the, the JSON notation, but some are also just plain text lines. Uh, there's also XML. Uh, so these are all types of technical formats that logs can be in. And what we're looking to do is kind of identify groups of logs and understand their structure so we can pull that specific information out. Because where that goes is all of the AI. It all gets indexable. So we can pull out things like correlation ID and account numbers, although we did mask that for this project. Um, but, you know, the main thing is correlation ID. That's for, for an artificial intelligence, if there is some sort of ID that be, can be kind of traced between different logs, then that's going to mm -hmm. help massively. Although the AI does bring in loads of different other factors like metadata and timestamps and the surrounding CMDB, uh, but correlation ID is key. And doing this activity, so you want to jump in there, Phil? Yeah, I was just going to say, so the correlation ID, obviously what we want to, to, to do and one of the core takeaways around bringing HLA in and, and the machine learning pieces within the now platform was to be able to take multiple sources all the way across the user's journey through the platform. So that just for everyone that's listening, that correlation ID is the stamp um, of the transactions as a user's moving through the platform. So if you're in through you know, the, uh, the web front end and you hit JVM, we're collecting the JVM logs and it'll be correlation ID 12345. And then as you go into the database, 12345-1, underscore two, as those transactions or the, uh, the logs start to grow following you through the actual application. Um, just figure that was important to point out. That's then how we, we run trace routes throughout the, the entire application. Um, Unless I've got that massively wrong, Alex, carry on. No, no, that, that's right. Um, and I guess the challenge with that and one of the outcomes of studying these logs and decomposing their formats is we found inconsistencies in data. You know, mm. correlation ID with a capital ID or correlation space ID, these need to be standardized. And because there's a lot of logs, there's a lot of standardization to do. Um, so mm. that was a challenge um, as well. And we had to go back to National Grid and say, look, we've got the correlation ID, but we're not really getting any correlation. And so that kicked off a whole internal task for them to understand, okay, well, how are we passing this ID between different platforms and applications? And I think that's currently ongoing with MuleSoft, uh, and the communication between Salesforce and MuleSoft. We didn't previously mm -hmm. find an ID there, um, but now there is an internal task for them to build that API to get it working. Um, so that's really speaking to the during process. Now, the final major challenge, um, I think, is one that I relied a little bit on the the Agile team within National Grid and the, the architects, uh, which is the user adoption. 
You know, I'm a developer. If something's broken, then I just fix it. But if people aren't really using the tool, um, then we have to have meetings and we have to find ways to get them involved. Uh, you know, we, we put on a lot of training workshops. We try to show them the benefit of the tool and they are using it and we're, we're building them custom dashboards where they can kind of pull out really useful information for, for them. Um, and as well, we, you know, we're identifying P1s uh, and the architect, uh, Chi Wong and I are looking into these these alerts and these logs and trying to see, okay, we, we had a P1 last week that was raised at 9.30. Let's have a look mm -hmm. at the production data and see if there's anything there that we could show them and be like, look, an hour ago, this system picked it up. So it could be that if you were using this a little bit more actively, then you wouldn't have had to have that war room type call around the P1 because you'd been actively looking at this and you'd seen it before it escalated. So mm -hmm. that is definitely an ongoing challenge. Um, I'm not sure if Ashley wants to speak to that because, you know, National Grid, it's, a, it's an infrastructure change. And, and I think, yeah, it, that's a good example, Alex, around that because there was actually a P1 and we did, I think you guys did pick up that there was some logs that could have been uh, acted on um, 40 minutes before um, the actual incident was raised. But actually, I think in that in that particular instant, I think there was an event that happened at around four o'clock or half past four on the same day, where the number of SQL transactions or number of SQL transactions that was lower than what would normally be expected that time of day. And if we'd have been looking at them as well, we could have got it hours before. So there's your anomaly detection, Phil. Um, mm -hmm. we, we could have we could have noticed it four hours before it became an instant. So before it impacted anybody pick it up, action it. But that that's going to come with the user adoption piece that Alex just mentioned. You've got to, you've got to educate the teams that are going to consume the tool on, on what they should be looking for. It's not just a magic bullet. There's got to be user adoption and change management going on. When I say change management, I don't mean raising change requests to get things implemented. I mean organizational change management where people know that we've now got this single pane of glass. Look, look, look what's going on across the entire ecosystem rather than seeing your siloed application. And, 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 you know, without that, you, you're never going to be successful. If people aren't going to use it, you can put the best tool in the world, which this probably is. Um, but you, if people aren't going to use it or benefit from it, then they're still going to stay in their siloed environments. You'll never be a success. And yeah, you're still going to have Susie using a spreadsheet, right? And I've always done it this way. We, we need to make sure we change. And it's really cliched, but hearts and minds... We're going to make your job better and easier and faster and lighter. And now you'd be way more creative, you know, automate the mundane and allow people's creativity to fly and flourish has to be the message that we're sending here wider. Don't forget, this is one half of the coin that we're looking at here. This is pure HLA, the logs, uh, sorry, the, the, the metrics and the alerts and so forth. That's going to be the other side of the coin. We're we'll start to sandwich these things together as we mature through the EWP, certainly into dot two. Um, or, or 2.0 um, deployment implementations. So this is one half of the, 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 or the base of the piece, if you like. We've still got the toppings to go on. Yeah. And I think Alex mentioned something earlier around the log structure and, and you know, making sure they're, they're consistent. We've actually created some guardrails and principles working with um, the core engineering team as well um, that have been published via our enterprise architecture team um, so that people that are now building applications and, and want observability and want uh, 
to productionize their applications, they should really be following these principles and guardrails that have been established because that way you're not going to get any custom raw text files being generated. They'll be yeah. using um, the formats that Alex mentioned earlier. So there isn't this rework that's need done further down the line. If everybody's got it in a consistent state to start with and the correct state so it's consumable, then everybody's a winner. Exactly. Standards and enforcement of standards. You're right. Yeah. Because then once we've got the, the, the logic set up, we've got the AI uh, metrics trained, we've got the context engines running, they're going to expect it in a certain format. It's being digest, ingested in that format. Everything's golden. It can just pick it up and move forward and no further reworks required. And Alex, I, what was, what, what, go on, go on, Ashley, go on. I was just going to mention on uh, something that he, he mentioned earlier around, um, different things now coming so there's more announcements need to be done and I think I mentioned it in the, the prequel the definition of done mm. so, you know, Alex and the team are working really hard to solve the problem but you've got to make sure you define the definition of done so that anything else needs to go in the backlog and, and not just keep being added to otherwise you'll never solve the problem you, you can you're on, you're on a hamster wheel con- continually going round and round and round if you define what the definition of done is with the stakeholders you know exactly what needs to be delivered up front. You solve the problem statement, uh, then you can move on to the next exciting piece of work. Yeah, well, I think once we move past the POX, even though it feels like we're past POX stage already because we've proved it, right? So once we move past the full build out of the lighthouse, we've got that closed down, and then we start to move into, right, global implementation. I feel like there should be an equal laugh in there somewhere. We move into global implementation, global rollout and, and build out these, you know, the UTOX and all of the capability, which will ingest stuff from UWP, which uh, the Azure monitoring, the data center transformations, all of that's moving into that UTOX center. We have to have clearly defined definitions of done, uh, acceptances, business and user change has got to be a big part of that as this training, architecture, security have all got to be brought in. So we form that that uh, center of excellence, again, another term has been done to this, but that absolute pinnacle of how this operates globally across your organization, you know, with its own resources, its own dedicated staff, its own uh, informational services, etc. Oh, you're writing an API? Great. Here's a library of the APIs you can use. Oh, you're implementing a new toolkit? Fantastic. Here's uh, all of the standards we have across different parts of the infrastructure, f- uh, physical, virtual infrastructure as code, et cetera, et cetera, right? You use these different things here. Uh, oh, this is for production. This is for non-prod. This is for critical. This is for non-critical. And we're doing similar work with other clients. Defining that is is humongous um, because then you get, you know, a smorgasbord of stuff that you can choose. Right, okay, I'm, I'm implementing a an application in AWS, which is going to be using JVMs and SQL, what are my tooling standards here? Oh, there they are. And there's my reference architecture and there the APIs I can call. Oh, and I just chuck all my stuff here and it gets picked up and it's monitored. Fantastic. You know, with the enhancements of automated service mapping, we want to bring to you, which ties in as part of Damien's uh, discovery rollout and stuff going forward. That then all starts to make complete sense and ties together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. If I might, uh, Phil, just to speak to those points I mentioned, I think, and, and talking to the global implementation, you know, it's a little bit of an uphill battle at the start, um, specifically with user adoption. Um, but as we introduce more applications and teams into this tool, then we can show other teams the benefit of it. And that user adoption piece, you know, 
it becomes null. And you've just got those two main challenges at the start and during the project. And you know, you can we've got a definition of done. Uh, we've got an idea of exactly how we can implement it and how quick we can implement it. And we can just knock off different applications all you know over the course of several months. So it yeah, does it speed up. Yeah, it comes a sausage machine, doesn't it? It comes a sausage yeah, machine. Rinse, snowballs. repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Exactly. Yeah, and then before the you know it, everyone's, everyone's yeah. on it. Wouldn't you get, um, once people start seeing them demos and what it can do, you then mm. get a massive intake. Everybody wants it at the same time. Well, that's, think that's the other side of the problem, isn't it? Everyone's like, come <laughs> give it here. Oh, and by the way, can you deliver these 20 things for us? Like, uh, yeah. yes, we can. We'd love to. It's going to go on the backlog. But then we don't want to slow down that implementation. Yeah. Um, that's where you have to prioritize which one's the most important. Fortunately, mm. we've got a project manager, Dawn Seymour, who can take care mm. of that. We can stay away from the politics. Uh, yeah. And Dawn can sort all of that out. Yeah, exactly. And Alex and everyone else can just focus on the, the cool stuff, the stuff we're here for, which is the implementation and the technicals. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Ashley, anything else you want to cover this week? Uh, no. Uh, well, there is this. Uh, Alex will know about this as well. The self-service portal. Uh, I mentioned it to Becky last week, actually, Phil, around the CX1, CX2 stuff. And mm. the event rules and the event um, alerts, you know, Whilst we're getting teams onboarded onto um, HLA and um, event management, the rules that get triggered, we're seeing a bit of an ask around how can we manage them rules themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to contact the delivery team or, or a platform team um, or the DevOps team to say, oh, can you tweak this rule for me? What they're asking for now is can we go and amend them rules ourselves through some kind of portal uh, but there are yeah. boundaries around what rules they can have, um, amend, etc. So that's something I know that she is looking at. Um, Dawn's got it on her radar. And we also mentioned the ServiceNow Design Council last week, I think, as well. Yeah. So we have a GUI front end, which can be implemented. It's usually for uh, devs and admins. So we can probably rework that to allow certain technical teams to have access to the GUI front end and then we'll have to be really careful by some kind of ACL rule set about who can edit what and what they can change and so forth because again we're now starting to build a really good baseline of what normal looks like within ServiceNow the the ML engine's running so we want to allow them obviously to self-serve their own rule set completely by technology area because we've told them not to put any rule sets within their originating source they do have to have some control uh, so yeah, let's get Joe Roberts involved in that conversation, Alex, if, if we haven't already, because he, we did that at, uh, one of our banking customers, uh, up in Scotland, because they were um, globally uh, dispersed as a, as a techn- technology team and needed to be able to do something very similar. So we have it. We just need to probably modify it and rewrite some of it for your specific use case. But yeah, yeah, the GUI front end does exist. Brilliant. That's a nice freebie you've thrown in. <laughs> I didn't get free. Did you hear free, Alex? I didn't hear free. I didn't hear it either. No. <laughs> Buy me a coffee tomorrow uh, when I see you, and then we can uh, we can go from there. We can talk. Open the dialogue with a, a cafe latte, okay. and you're all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, I think uh, we're 27 minutes in, so we've we reached our usual kind of time. We're not good there, Alex. Thank you very much for coming on and being a guest. I actually probably want to get you back in, uh, you know, four to six weeks. Just give us an update of where we're going. The enhancements we've had with HLA UWP.1, uh, and then the migration into dot two. So that would be kind of cool to get you back in and get your thoughts around that if you'll come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Brilliant. Ashley, as usual, thanks always, mate, for coming along. And uh, I'll speak to you on the next episode.
Thank you. I, I'd just like to add one of my tasks last week was to um, get an email address set up. So any questions and comments, if you email how the F at sapphiresystems.com, um, that'll go through to, to Phil and he'll be able to respond. So let me, that was how, and Carl, apologies because I always forget you're there, um, but it's how the F, as in how H-O-W-T-H-E-F at sapphiresystems.com. That's correct. Excellent. Brilliant. So listen, no spam. I'm not going to come around and wash your car. If you've got a proper technical question, you want us to include some information uh, or you just want to talk about some stuff further, drop us an email and then we'll get it included in the podcast. What if, it, else, what if it's a golf invite, Phil? You're going to ignore that one as well? Then absolutely not. Yeah, if they want to invite me on to... The, I'll, I'd even go to play live, mate. I don't, I don't really care. If they're going to pay me money to play golf, I will go. <laughs> Anyone wants to invite me for a round of golf and talk about service ops, I'm here, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Listen, everyone, awesome. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you later. That was the latest episode on how the do you implement service operations? Hopefully that's given you some insights. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of victories. It's never going to be an easy journey, especially with a project of this size. We hope to see you next week where we'll give you more insights on how the program's going. 